Actually, you blessed me and encouraged me more than you know with that. Arlene and I are so excited to be able to journey with you. It's, it's such an exciting time. And thank you to both Sam and Gilbert and the rest of the team uh, for that. So uh, what we're going to do is, uh, let me just give you a little bit of an overview is for me to respond to what just happened and to uh, let you know a little bit of, of, of what I'm thinking, and that, then I'll transition into our teaching. And it's, it's pretty cool the way that a while back, before knowing any of this stuff, that the text for today became the text for today. And you'll see what I mean a little bit later. But first, let me back up. Several people have asked, so what's up with you in Northland? What's your history with Northland Church. Back, it goes back 25 years when I was a student uh, at Reformed Theological Seminary here in Orlando. I spoke at a men's retreat. I was here as a student, but I was also the f- helping start a, 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 an organization. I was the first executive director of an organization we called the Greater Orlando Leadership Foundation. It became LifeWork Leadership. It's an equipping uh, organization for Christian business leaders in Central Florida. And I spoke at a men's retreat here at Northland, met a guy named Vernon Rainwater. And that is where the relationship started. And so over the years, I've preached here back in 2000, 2001, right in there, I would come about once a month and preach. I was pastoring a, a large church in Colorado Springs, uh, Colorado for years, but would still come back here. And then about three years ago, I started coming back to Northland about once a month. I had then and still have a ministry called Thrive. That's a ministry that's devoted to engaging and equipping men and women to be fully alive to the glory of God in every arena of their life and journey and culture. And part of that calling involved being, and journey, being with you, journeying with you, preaching, encouraging. And then that, that shifted last September to co-leading with Vernon and uh, as the lead teaching pastor. So the co-pastoring these last few months, we've been praying through that. And so here we are today, and I couldn't be more surprised uh, that this has happened. A lot of that's, that was not anywhere on my radar long ago other than just to come alongside you guys and encourage you during this season. I want you to know I'm grateful for Vernon and continuing to partner with us. I want to continue partnering with him. Vernon Rainwater is the pastor and the face of Northland's pastoral presence in this community, and that ain't changing. And he, absolutely. Um, when, I, when I think of Northland, I, in so many ways, I think of, of Vernon. And as Gilbert said, he'll be back preaching on Father's Day weekend. He was going to be preaching next weekend, but then when uh, he picked her, he said later, he said, I don't know why I picked May 15th, but he kind of did. And he, but he said, it's really convenient because after May 15th, he, he said, I'm not going to preach, so I'm taking a vacation. So I thought, great. And I also get the graduation this weekend. In fact, uh, next weekend, I will be with my son, Arlene, and I'll be out in Spokane, Washington at Whitworth University my son Stephen will be graduating from college next weekend. And so, absolutely, as long as he doesn't screw anything up between now and then, we're good. <laughs> Just kidding, it's all set. And, uh, but Sean Cooper 
one of our pastors will be teaching us uh, next weekend, and then I'll be back the following week. And the next weekend will be very exciting as we focus on our students, our, our next generation, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But Vernon's ministry, will, a while back, he had the title of pastor at large. There's some of that that is his wheelhouse in terms of our True North Foundation for the Arts and Education, our anti-human trafficking, our, our partnerships locally, but also globally, our reconciliation ministries, a number of things that are very close to his heart that I'm so looking forward to all of us being blessed by as he hunkers down and focuses on that. Now, in terms of my role here, I've gotten an interesting question a couple of times since this whole email and everything went out. I've had a couple of people say, hey, do you have hope for Northland? No, no, I just thought I'd jump in and drown with the rest of you. Of course I have hope. I, I, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have hope. I mean, and my hope is anchored in what Paul says to the Philippians. We talked about it during our series in Philippians when he says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And that hope is anchored in who Jesus is. This is a Kairos moment for Northland that I couldn't be more excited to be involved in. Now, the first weekend of the year, I talked about the difference between Kronos and Kairos, two Greek words, both of which are translated time. Kronos is the mere passing of moments. Everybody's lives, all churches, any group organization experiences Kronos, but not everybody sees as Kairos. Kairos is time charged with potential, and this is a Kairos moment in the life and journey and ministry of Northland Church. And it, I, it, it is an exciting opportunity for me, but not just for me, but for you, because we're doing this together. My, uh, that's another question I've gotten a couple of times these last couple of days. Are you excited? And I almost answered the same way I answered the, the hope one. But it's, it's a little bit, yes, I'm excited, but my, I will say my hope is anchored in Jesus. My excitement is contingent upon you. If I'm with you, if you're with me, if we're in the boat together, if we seize this Kairos moment together, it's not a, a thing where, hey, cool, let's watch Matt and the other folks see what they do with this. This is all of us. You guys know that I use props quite a bit. My only prop this morning is the prop that I want you to remember, and it's what you just saw up on this stage. Tons of our leadership gathered, but if it were to be a true prop, all of you would have come up on stage as well. And those of you who are online, you guys would have been beamed through the uh, technology uh, wiring to get here as well. All of us on stage, it's time for us to do this together. That's the root of my excitement, to engage with this together. This last week, I, uh, on satellite radio, heard Prince, Prince's song, when, when Doves Cry, and uh, you know, thinking back I don't know what it get, just got me going, thinking back. Remember Prince, that season when he changed his name for a little while, where he said, my name's no longer Prince, my name is the artist formerly known as Prince, and he had this symbol. Uh, may, may you be the congregation formerly known as the audience. And may you be the people now known as the men and women that are in the boat. We're all in this thing together. And as God, absolutely. What? If this, is, if this is your first time to be at Northland, what a wonderful day to pick because we are launching into this together. And it's, it's not going to be easy. Transition is difficult by definition. 
We have a wonderful, rich legacy of 40-plus years as a church in the last 30, these rich years under the leadership of Dr. Joel Hunter. And what it's, it, it, this, that's the foundation. It's not doing away with that. It's building on that foundation. But when any organization, group, what uh, individual, when you go through transition, difficulty is embedded in it. We've got difficulties. We've got difficulties in terms of finances. We've got difficulties in terms of different people volunteering and uh, getting slotted in the right place. Our staff is underneath an enormous weight because uh, we're, we're understaffed in some areas and sometimes that's, in some ways that's related to finances. That's all there, but guess what? It's an opportunity for us to see that God's enough. It's an opportunity for us to row together. All transitions are a storm. It's like a storm, but there are two sides of a storm. There's the front end and the back end. There's going into the storm and there's coming out of the storm. Ironically, sometimes they feel different until you insert vision and understanding the situation and realizing, you know what? We're not going into the storm right now. We're coming out of it. There's blue sky. There's open water, and it's time to move an opportunity for us to say, let's steward who we are and let that become part of who God is calling us to be. All past, and it's not a cliche, I believe it deeply, the past of Northland Church truly is the prologue of this new season. And I've got a task, and here's my task. In, in, in short, it, bottom line, it's to complete this transition and to launch us into this next season, to, do, to serve, to lead in every way I can. I've got a checklist already of goals. If you want to know basically my top 10, here they are. You can think about them. You can write a couple down. You can pray for them. More will be added to it as we are rowing together. But one of my goals that I'm praying for daily, and it's time, is for strategic kingdom movement forward. You know, during transitions, during storms, you tend to hunker down to just try to survive the storm. And that's natural. We've been doing that, but it's time to move. And it's time to move forward with kingdom vision underneath the leadership of our head. So that's one. Another is healthy leadership. It has to do with our board, our staff, our ministry leaders, and the relationships there, the, the understanding of roles or structure of leadership. We are blessed with some amazing folks here. And as that's galvanizing together, that's huge. Another is impact needs to continue and even go deeper. Northland is known for impact all over the world. And we want to see that continue exponentially. The impact within us as a church, the ministries that we have here, if you're, if you're not familiar with them, start looking them up. They're ministries, not just to serve you, but for you to be involved. Ministries in our city, ministries around the globe, continuing that impact. A fourth is next, our next generation. Starts in children's church here, but keeps going. Our next generation is, is, is absolutely vital. Let me tell you something. I'm not the future of Northland Church. I just want to let that sink in for a minute. The future are young men and women, that, some of whom have already been identified and others of whom will be as we move into this next season. So uh, if you're older, don't think, oh, well, this Northland's not about me. Of course, Northland's about you. But multi-generational, and it is so important 
for North and Nagoya. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this baton, so to speak, lightly, wanting to, to pass it quickly, not just to one, but to many. And you be praying for that. Small groups is another goal. It's pretty exciting to see many of you getting involved in smaller communities. Let me tell you this, big churches, I do not believe, and I was involved with a very large church in Colorado as well for many years. I don't think big churches are biblical unless folks are involved in smaller community. The beauty of a large church is how we can galvanize together in a catalytic way in times like this to come and worship, but this is not all of church. It's not just staring at the back of somebody's head for an hour and a half. It's, it's getting involved in smaller communities and learning to do that. Another is our storytelling. We're, we're, we ha- there is so much happening, even this past week at Northland, by way of stories of the kingdom, of what's happened. And uh, there are benefits to being so big. There are also downsides, and one of the downsides of being so big is you don't hear about those. So we've got folks that are wanting to learn to tell the story, and her, uh, I just point to people randomly. No, I was just pointing to someone who's got a vision for that as well, who's bringing his, his videography ability and his direction ability. We've got, so it's in, in all of our media and communication, let's, let's start making it easy to find out what God is doing. Another is worship. Worship has been something that's a hallmark at Northland. That's not going to change. What does worship in this next generation look like? We're exploring that over these next couple of weeks. We're going to be blessed by the guy named, with a guy named Danny Stevens who's agreed to join our team. He and his wife are moving from over on the west coast of Florida. They've been involved up in North Point Church for a while up in Atlanta, and he's going to come as our worship director. Every weekend, our worship team, when I watch them, I feel similarly about our staff. So many are carrying such loads, doing several jobs, more, more than the jobs of just one person. That's true of our, our worship team. And every week, they're faithful. And Danny coming along is a breath of fresh air for us to, to explore that. Another goal is empowering you, equipping you. When I talk about us galvanizing our finances for what's happening physical plant-wise, it's not just to make this place pretty, it's to keep it going as a catalytic hub, hub for us to gather together from which we're sent, from which we're distributed. When I talk about staff, uh, needing finances for more staff, it's not so staff can do ministry, so staff can do the work of equipping others and unleashing you. You've got some very unique gifts, so do you. You're called particularly, you're wired, every one of us is. And it's us figuring out, okay, how can we do a better job of, of empowering people to do the work of the ministry? A ninth one is preaching. A preaching team. Yes, I'm going to be preaching more, but I'm not the only one that's going to be preaching. And it's understanding and getting that younger generation as well as Vernon and others where we together are listening to God and let's becoming a place where uh, a mentor, I'd love to in this season, uh, mentor if, in, even in small ways and encourage uh, great preaching and teaching because not for entertainment purposes, for, but for equipping purposes. But let me give you number 10, and it's the one that's most critical right now. My 10th of the top 10 in terms of goals is vision. What's God's vision for this next season? We've got a rich legacy. It's to build on that. 
It's not doing away with that. It's incorporating that in this next season. We've been involved in a vision process, I told you guys a couple of months ago. And as a lot of times things do, it takes longer than you're, you're thinking, but we're entering the last phase of that visioning, that revisioning process. What is God's compelling future for Northland Church? What is, what is the vision that's compelling and clear, vision that I want to give my life to? I want you to give your life to. And it's not a vision about, hey, come help Northland be Northland. It's come help you be you. It's Northland and you, us as Northland. Don't distinguish between, hey, Northland wants me to help them. Northland's not them. Northland is us. And as us saying, together, let's listen to God. For you to, th to thrive means Northland will thrive. For Northland to thrive means you'll thrive. We do that together. We listen together. And it's starting right now. That, I love dreaming, and that's what this season is about. One of my favorite vision quotes some people know is by a, an adventurer and explorer back in the first part of last century, a Frenchman named uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. And he said this, he said, if you're wanting to build a ship, don't assemble people and assign them tasks to go chop wood. He says, first, before you do any of that, teach them to long and dream for the immensity of the sea. Because it's the sea that motivates us. It's thinking through then, all right, let's figure out what ship's necessary for us to get out there. And may we be longing for the immensity of the kingdom sea that God wants us to sail into. And we're rounding the bend of that process that we've been in. Kenan Birch, a, a dear friend of, of Northland's now, he loves this place. He's from this area, not involved in Northland, but now he's, he's gotten a great taste. He's interviewed almost 350 people in various uh, small groups and individual settings. We've got a, a couple of last things to do in, over this next month. Mid-June, a group of about 50 folks that from all over our congregation are get to get together. Uh, Kenan's not telling us a vision. He's just, he's just assimilating. Okay, people saying, what's the legacy that we're stewing right now? What's the, what are some of the dream, the elements of the dream that are coming? And we'll get together for two days and pray and listen and dream together. Some of those are elders. Some of those are staff. Some of those are you. And then ultimately we'll come out of this with a dream that is compelling, that's clear, a dream that we really do want to give our lives to. Now here's something you can do to help that over this last next month is, and I'd like you to do it even this week, uh, if, even if you've been interviewed or not, we've got eight questions we'd love to hear from you. And you can go to our website, northernchurch.net slash vision. You can go on our website, click on the vision update. If you are part of Northern's email list, you'll get an email. If you're not, sign up for that because it's going to be an exciting time and you want to keep, keep, keep touch with what's going on. But go to there. It's eight questions. They're not essay questions. I used to hate essay questions when I was in high school. These are just click on, pick, pick one box. I think there's, there's one or two where you can, if you want to say something, you can. But it's just wanting to make sure that we're getting that input from you. And then we're bringing that all together and saying, let's fasten our seatbelts and get going. And I cannot wait. And I am so excited ab about this time. But that means you. And that means us saying it is a new day. 
And it's an opportunity for us to not just watch people row, but to row ourselves. It's some people who've been in the boat, haven't left the boat, but haven't been rowing to start rowing again. Other people might have left the boat to get back in the boat. Other people have never been in the boat to get in the boat. And it's you inviting people to get in the boat and us saying, let's dream together of who we can be as Northland Church for this next season, this next generation, in concert with other churches in this area and around the world to be uniquely Northland. And let's believe him together that he who began a good work is going to complete it. And the task we have right now as Northland Church is not yet finished. And the calling that we have as Northland Church is not yet complete. Deal? Let's believe him together for that. And I want to pray for that. Absolutely. So I've got uh, some special focus. Uh, I honored guests to be here. And it's not, not me, any of the people up front. Well, maybe it is some of the people up front. We're going to transition to some teaching time. I want to pray for this next season. And as we start praying for this next season, I want to pray for some very special people. If you are a mother, would you please stand right now, wherever you are? No, 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 don't be sitting down. You're, you, you mothers are big on obedience. It's time for you to listen to me. And <laughs> don't, I didn't tell you to sit down, but I do want to take just a moment. I'm about to pray for you. Before I do, I want to give a shout out to uh, my favorite mom in the world. And it's not just, it's kind of a tie. It's not just my wife, Arlene, who's here, but my mother, uh, Mary Hurd. And she's been somebody that has blessed me over the years more than I can articulate. And during the season at Northland, uh, there have been several times I've not been able to get, get up there, Mom, to see you and to uh, speak into your life. And I know you're watching right now, and I want you to know I could not be more blessed than I am right now to be your son. And I love you. And I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, moms stand. By the way, stepmoms as well stand. I want to pray for you. Uh, Jesus, thank you for these women that are standing right now, for the calling that's on their life. I thank you for my mom, for Arlene, for these women. And them standing indicates a lot of things. It indicates joy. It also indicates tears. It indicates heartfulness and it indicates heartbreak. It indicates a calling that is high. It also indicates labor that's unappreciated. And I thank you for the faithfulness of these women. I pray for the heartbreak that exists in this room and online maybe a child who's wandered, could be the loss of a child. I know somebody just talked to in the last couple of days, they lost a, lost a baby since last Mother's Day. Would you heal? Would you encourage? Would you affirm? I'd like to ask the rest of the women, not the men yet, but just the women, the rest of you women, please stand. 
Father, some of the women that are standing now would have liked to have been standing a moment ago. Would you provide a soothing ointment for that wound? Would you give hope? Would you give healing? There are other women that are standing that know their calling has not been motherhood, and they are stewarding that calling so well and so triumphantly. And I thank you for their encouragement of other women and what all of these women model. I'd like to ask all you men to stand now. Everybody actually who has a mother, if you would stand right now. (laughs) So here we stand, all of us, the sons and daughters of mothers. And could be this is a very difficult Mother's Day because we've lost a mother. I think five minutes before the service started, I was talking with a dear, dear friend of mine whose mom went to be with you, Jesus, this morning at 6 a.m. On Mother's Day, would you, would you heal his heart? I thank you that it's standing right now as men and women, we are imaging you because your word says you created us male and female in your image. And it's when we're together as male and female, we image you. And it's when we're together as male and female, redeemed by Jesus, brought together as a called community. We are your church. We are your body. We're not just your images. We're your body on this planet. And we are your body called Northland Church. Would you speak into us right now? Would you continue to breathe renewal and revival into us for this next season and use these next few brief moments to galvanize us as we submit before you, not just playing church, but being your people and listening and responding in the name of our King, I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. On February the 12th, 1959, Congress assembled together to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the birth of somebody that I've been reading a little bit more about in recent days. Actually, there are two historical figures I've been reading more about, both of whom were thrust into a very difficult, challenging leadership opportunity. And one was Abraham Lincoln. I'll tell you about the other one at the end of the message here before we go into some prayer time. But they were commemorating Abraham Lincoln's 150th birthday, and they asked before this joint session of Congress if Carl Sandburg, the poet, the historian, he was a Lincoln expert actually, to compose a speech about Abraham Lincoln. He agreed. And the title that he came up with for his speech is the reason I'm sharing it with you today because it relates directly So what we're going to be talking about in this third beatitude of Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 that we'll get to in just a minute. The beatitudes are the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Eight statements, but they're not in eight isolated individual statements. 
They come together as a unit. We're calling this series Cultivate, viewing our heart as a garden with these eight saplings growing. And the more they grow, the more mature we become in Christ. And they're progressive. They're cumulative. It's not that you go to, you, you, you do one, then you're, you're done with it. You, you get the first beatitude down, then you go the second. Now you've got two beatitudes. John Cortinas did a great job last week. I loved his prop of the ladder. And with those eight beatitudes, and it's right there, you start with the poor in spirit. That's that first beatitude. And then you move to the morning, and then we come to a statement that confuses people a lot. And I want to read this speech by Carl Sandburg because the title of it and the content of it has everything to do with the third beatitude. The title was Abraham Lincoln, Man of Steel and Velvet. Steel and velvet. Here's what he said. Not often in the story of mankind does a man arrive on earth who is both steel and velvet, who is as hard as a rock and as soft as a drifting fog, who holds in his heart and mind the paradox of terrible storm and peace unspeakable and perfect. While the war winds howled, Abraham Lincoln insisted that the Mississippi was one river meant to belong to one country. While the luck of war wavered and broke and came again, as generals failed and campaigns were lost, he held enough forces together to raise new armies and supply them. Until generals were found who made war as victorious, war has always been made with terror, frightfulness, destruction, valor, and sacrifice past words of man to tell but also in the mixed shame and blame of the immense wrongs of two crashing civilizations, often with nothing to say, he said nothing, slept not at all, and on occasions, Lincoln was seen to weep in a way that made weeping appropriate and decent and majestic because he was a man of steel and velvet. The passage that we have today that, again, I mentioned earlier, didn't know what we were going to be doing today, is perfect. Not just for us as individuals, but for us as a community. To be a church of steel and velvet, now's the time. To be a church that's both tender and tough. And I'll tell you what I mean. If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. If you don't own a Bible, pick one up in the back as our gift to you afterwards. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching to their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So Jesus is launching us public ministry in this passage. Good news, gospel of the kingdom. What's he saying is the kingdom of God is once again advancing on this earth. There's been a rebellion. Men and women saying we can be normal, fulfilled men and women without you and your leadership and your kingship. Jesus says the good news is, is I've come to repair that breach of your rebellion and to invite you once again into the liberating, not suffocating, liberating rule of my kingship. And as he's proclaiming this good news of coming back under the king's leadership, he starts with the greatest sermon of all, the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with these eight statements known as the Beatitudes. In verse 1, Matthew 5, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the word blessed is powerful. It means happy, but not super, superficially happy. In fact, the word that's used here is makarios. The root word is makar. Makarios was a deep sense of contentment and well-being and happiness, only at that time thought to be attainable by Greek gods and goddesses. Makarios was in classical Greek literature only connected with Greek gods and goddesses. They were the only ones thought to be able to attain, obtain this level of contentment and happiness. And Jesus is saying, come under my rule. Seek first the kingdom, and makarios will once again be yours as a human being. Here's how it starts, this cumulative progression. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who own up to their bankruptcy, their spiritual need, their sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not just mourning over something bad that's happened, mourning in a deep sense, a repentance sense of mourning my sin, mourning my bankruptcy, enough to turn from my bankruptcy to the riches of Christ and says, for they will be comforted. Now, who, did Jesus, who does Jesus say the comforter is? In the upper room discourse, he says, the Holy Spirit is my comforter. My spirit's gonna come to you. Uh, theologians will talk about, okay, in this progression, when is it that a person actually is converted, comes to Christ? probably at this moment. We repent from our sin, we turn to Him, and He inhabits us with His Spirit. His Holy Spirit takes up resonance. We're fully baptized in His Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have full control of us. That's this journey of sanctification, of growing in Christ, where we're coming more and more under His control. So now the Holy Spirit is within me, and He gives us a challenge and a task. Here we go. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Happy are the meek. How strange is that? Because we don't think too highly of meekness. We think of meekness as weakness, and that's contrary to what we're taught. You know, the happy, the blessed are those who, who go for the jugular, who, who, who win before everybody else, those who win by causing other people to lose, those people who uh, are happy because they do unto others before they do it unto them. You know, it goes on and on. That's the people that sees it, grab the gusto. And here Jesus is saying, Blessed are the meek. Are you kidding me? Meek? Years ago, I saw this thing. This guy sarcastically started an organization called the Doormat Society, the Dependent Order of, uh, of Meek and Timid Souls. It's an acrostic. Their insignia was the yellow traffic light, caution. Their slogan was, the meek shall inherit the earth, if it's okay with everybody else. Because meekness means timidity, backing away, not taking initiative, having an all shucks, oh, is me, of being passive. That is not biblical meekness. Listen, the word that Jesus uses there, transliterated, is P-R-A-U-S, praus. It's a word that in classical Greek literature was used very uniquely. I'm going to tell you, let me give you four instances. Tell me if you see something similar a consistent trait in all four of these. These are all contexts in which prous was used. Referred to a horse that had been broken. Referred to a, a mild and encouraging word. Referred to a soothing breeze, a gentle breeze. It also referred to a healing medicine. Horse broken, word that's comforting, 
encouraging, wind that's refreshing, medicine that's healing. What's in common there? All four of those things can do great damage if they're not brought under control. An unbroken horse can cause a lot of damage. A word can cause a lot of damage. Everybody knows that. We've all been impacted by, by powerfully destructive words. Wind. Hello, we're here in hurricane land. Can do a lot of damage. Drugs, medicine, not properly prescribed can do a lot of damage. You know what Jesus is saying there? Pros. He's referring to our potential as human beings that's, that's majestic because we're created in the image of God. Great power, great potential. To be meek means to submit my potential to his spirit who indwells me and let him be my king. Meekness is power and potential under control, in submission. It's not weakness. It's being incredibly strong but doing so underneath his direction. And he says, blessed are the meek, because they'll inherit the earth, they and they alone. They're the, they'll be on the front lines of the men and women who will be populating the new heaven and the new earth. And by the way, those men and women will be throughout their lives in pockets, in communities of ecclesia, called out, which is what that word means. Men and women that have been called out of darkness into light, out of death into life. Men and women that are called to be the body of Christ. And what is powerful for us as Northland Church is to hear the word of God today to say, for this season, what we're called to do is to be meek in his presence, which is not weak, but is to bring the potential that is Northland Church underneath the control of who Jesus is, of the spirit who is here and who is enough. And the beauty of that is encapsulated in what Jesus is saying. We want to be blessed as a church. Let's go for it in meekness. Owning up to our poverty of spirit and saying, Lord, we need help. We got a lot of successes in our rearview mirror, but we're humbling ourselves before you. We're mourning our spiritual bankruptcy and turning from our, our inability to the riches of your ability. Comfort us with your spirit. Holy Spirit, breathe afresh and anew with us, and we will respond in meekness and submission. So what's it look like? Let me give you real quickly four categories. Four characteristics of an individual and a church who are meek. The first two relate to velvet. Tenderness. The second two relate to steel and toughness. First one, controlled by his spirit. To be meek is to be controlled by his spirit who's taken up residence within us. The spirit of Christ is among us. The spirit of Christ is within us. But we can grieve the spirit. We can resist the spirit. And what Northland needs, what the church in, is the same thing a church in America needs, which makes this very exciting. What could happen if the Holy Spirit were to bring great revival and authenticity, not religiosity, but authenticity to bear on this culture, to be controlled by His Spirit? It's one, of the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. The word there is the same word, makarios. James talks about having the word humbly planted, letting the word humbly take root in us. What's that word? Pros. Meekness. Second characteristic, 
If we're launching into this season, about to row together, may we be controlled by His Spirit and not our own agendas, but by His Spirit. But secondly, may we be caring. It's a second tenderness characteristic. Northland historically has cared well for one another, for its city, and for the world. May we do so even more. When I'm meek, I'm submitting before Him, and, and, and we'll see this later in the Beatitudes and begin to let that flow through me to other people. To be meek, thirdly, now these, these last two have to do with our toughness. Meekness is not weakness, it's tenderness and toughness. It's velvet and steel. And the third was to be content. Meek men and women are content. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance that I find myself in because I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. As I'm submitting before his strength, contentment is not passivity. Contentment is an active engagement with the sufficiency and the grace and the life of the gospel. To be content in the midst of difficulty is to be courageous. Let me tell you something. Guess where we are right now is Northland Church. We're right where God has us. But guess where tomorrow is? It ain't today. Tomorrow we need to be in a different place. So it's learning. There's not, meek people are not impatient. We're going to be eager in initiating and saying, let's get going. But with an understanding that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and we can be content right where we are right now. But the fourth is courageousness. Meek men and women are not just controlled by the Spirit and caring, tender. They're not just content, but we're also courageous. We're tough. You know, the two most meek people, there are two people in Scripture that were said to be meek, specifically described as meek. One is Moses and the other is Jesus. Anybody here want to nominate either of them for a milk toast uh, award? I don't think so. Moses leading millions out of captivity. And the Scripture says he's the most meek man in all the earth. Jesus was called meek, the one who tackled evil face on. The opportunity for courage right now that's before Northland Church is unprecedented. And the only way we'll seize that opportunity is through humbling ourselves saying we need help, turning to Him, and submitting before Him, and embracing this season in the way that we should embrace it with the sufficiency of the gospel. I told you there are two historical figures that I've kind of started reviewing some stuff on and reading some new things. The second, first is Abraham Lincoln, the second is Winston Churchill. He came on board in England, a very difficult time. This week I watched for the second time a movie on the plane. I'd already seen it once, wanted to watch it again. It's called The Darkest Hour. Gary Oldham does a brilliant job, one best actor. The film was nominated for best picture. Talking about Winston Churchill coming on board in England in May of 1940 in the very, very difficult time. A year and a half later, he spoke at the Her So after seeing that movie, I then went to a couple of Winston Churchill websites and museum. One I went to, and several will record this. Uh, a year and a half later, Churchill went to the Harrow School, where he had gone to school as a young man. 
and he went back to speak. It was in October of 1941. World War II was still going. We had not yet, as America, come into the war. That was Pearl Harbor in December. Churchill came, it was a song event where the student body was singing some of their songs. Schools in those days would have a number of songs that were part of their identity. There was one great famous song at the school and in honor of the Prime Minister of England, Prime Minister Winston Churchill coming to visit his alma mater, they added a verse to one of the songs and this is what the verse said. It's, it's a song about not praising God less in dark times and in dark days and this is, uh, the, this is the verse that they added. They said, not lest we praise in darker days. And then they says, the leader of our nation in Churchill's name shall win acclaim from each new generation, for you have power in danger's hour, our freedom to defend, sir. Though long the fight we know that right will triumph in the end, sir. And Churchill appreciated it. And he gave them a rousing speech. It's where his famous never give in, never give in, never, 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 Give in, nothing, in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. He says, Britain, in that same speech, Britain, other nations thought had drawn a sponge across her slate. He's saying other nations said, hey, Britain's done. But he says, I refuse to believe that. And he says, I've asked your headmaster, I appreciate the way you've changed the psalm, but I've asked the headmaster for a one-word change. You talk about darker days. I don't believe these are dark days. He said, I'm gonna, I've asked to replace that word with sterner days, meaning in our, our vernacular, challenging days. And this is what he said to finish his speech. After he told them, he had asked the headmaster's permission to change that word, and the headmaster said yes. He says, the reason is do not let us speak of darker days. Let us speak rather of sterner days. These are not dark days. These are great days, the greatest days our country has ever lived. And we must all thank God that we have been allowed, each of us, according to our stations, to play a part in making these days memorable in the history of our race. And I'm going to take the liberty of translating that in the context of Northland. Do not let us speak, Northland Church, of darker days. These aren't dark days. Let's speak rather of challenging days. This is a challenging days. These are not dark days. These are great days. These are the greatest days our church has ever lived. And we must all thank God that we've been allowed, each of us, according to our gifting, our calling, where we're in. Some of you are new to Northland. Some of you are back to Northland. Some of you are about to come back to Northland. But may we all understand we've been called to play a part in making these days, this season, in Northland Church's history and story memorable in the history of our church, in the history of this kingdom. Amen. Amen. So before we go, we're going to have some listening time, some quiet. First, let me pray. So don't get getting your stuff together. We, we've got some submitting to do, some meekness to exemplify if we're going to launch into this new water. First, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you speak so clearly to us about the hope of the gospel, about our role, not just as individuals who are taking a little gospel nugget to improve our own individualized lives, but instead to also realize your gospel comes to us to galvanize us with other human beings, to be your people, to be your images, to be your body in a fallen planet, to inherit the earth once again. 
So right now, before we go, in this next 15 minutes, would you shape us as we become for you as men and women of both velvet and steel, of tenderness and toughness, to submit to your agenda and the control of your spirit, to think of the ways that you are wanting to care for this world through Northland Church in tenderness. But also may we think of toughness right now, of, yes, being content and saying, you know what, it's okay, we're right where we need to be. But tomorrow we're going to need to be in a different place and it's going to take courage to get there. So lift our eyes not to the situation at hand, but to you who's calling us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. These next few weeks during the series, we're going to have moments where we engage with different art forms because our art slows us down and expands our heart. What you're about to see is some images and hear some music. There are going to be no words. The words are going to come from the Word of God in creation. You're going to see images of creation. Here's what I want you to think about. If our God can do what he has done in creation, and he can do what he's done in you in recreation, what can he do in Northland Church by way of recreation and rebirth? Isaiah 40, God says, do you understand who I am? I've created all things. Then I will also, trust me, I can give you strength. If you are, Isaiah doesn't say this, but the context is there, if you'll be meek and submissive. So behold, his greatness, his power in creation. And then that'll be followed by a song. It will be a prayer, and you can pray along with those lyrics that this, our God is great, and he's therefore very capable. So be active, not passive right now, and engage with the power of God that is available to us as we move forward as a church.